Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. I've got this new gig. It's actually making a little bit of money. Recording, essentially, oral history with people's parents or grandparents or whatever. And it is just delightful. It is just delightful. Essentially, I'm talking to men for money. I talk to women for free. and I'm talking to these men. Men are paying me to talk to me. If you're interested uh, at all, just shoot me an email. The simplest way to remember it is man, M-A-N, at manlistening.com. And I'll be happy to tell you more about it. It's a lot of fun. We are their parents. We are in charge. We are outnumbered by these people, these, these children. So we, we have to sometimes say, like, you know, what, what is best, what's best for us in terms of, le- of leading this family? What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. I met Laura Barnard because she was the like marketing person for an upcoming podcast guest who is the winningest coach you've never heard of, and Laura Barnard is in marketing. And uh, my friend who introduced us said, He's going to want to talk to you for the podcast. And sure enough, I did. Oh, my goodness. Fascinating story. Uh, Harvard undergrad, Chicago Business School, marketing. But one of the more interesting things is we get into it back and forth. She's married to a woman in, in New Hampshire. She's from Chicago. And we get into it about Chick-fil-A and this whole thing. Is, is me essentially trying to convert her, trying to flip this lesbian mom who's a branding marketing person to give Chick-fil-A a shot, which I'm not sure she should. I'm just saying, and she says she's going to go and engage in a conversation with the Chick-fil-A manager. I, it's, it's, you'll hear a lot of dumb, straight, white guy kinds of questions, but there's also some some kind of interesting understandings along the way. My new friend, Laura Barnard. Where were you born? I was born in Oak Lawn, Illinois. Hospital or home? Hospital. For your mother, you're number what of how many? For my mother, I am number three of three. You're the baby? I am the baby. And how much <laughs> the baby. Uh, no, there's I only should... one to baby. I think. I know. Baby... I'm fascinated by the baby. To understand Laura, what should I know about your mother? So my mother is um, very strong, like not like bodybuilder strong. Like she's a mentally, emotionally strong person. Um, she's very kind. She's doesn't take you know, shit from anybody. Uh, but she's the nicest person you ever met. She did not have the opportunity to go pursue any sort of college education. So she very bright in school, academically talented, sang in the choir, sort of, you know, 
not a sporty person, but involved, um, met my dad at a really young age. They met when she was a freshman in high school and he was a sophomore. So they kind of pursued marriage and Tell me uh, that she story. started working. So the story of how my mom and dad met, we not, like my brothers and I kind of like, don't really believe it because it's sort of those one like too good to be true. Like, and they're so, they are just so in love and they're attached at the hip that it kind of makes you sick, but it's so great, you know? So, so they, they were uh, in the lunchroom and this is back in the, the 1960s, right? They're born in 1950 and 1951. So picture it, Chicago suburbs, high school, public high school. My mom is in the lunchroom with her friends, doesn't know my dad yet. And just like a bored kid would just be sitting there, you know, flipping a penny just to herself, just what you know, kids do fidgety things. She's flipping a penny. She accidentally flips it too far. It goes flying across the room and lands down my dad's shirt. And he pulls the penny out and he looks around and she's, you know, beat red, like, oh my God, I just flipped my penny down this guy's shirt. And that's how they first met. And it was like love at first sight. And they've been together for over 50 years. That is a kind of meet cute that you don't. I mean, you can't make it up. And it's like, I was waiting, like someday I'm going to, someone's going to flip a penny down my shirt. And it didn't quite happen that way, but the idea that like, this is the person for me. How did you meet your wife? Uh, We met, so it's very typical lesbian meetup story. We met through recreational sports. (laughs) Which (laughs) which sport? Uh, basketball so we're both basketball players both both played in college um and we were uh both living in back in chicago um that's my my home hometown and she was there uh for work and we both played in this weekend rec basketball league and i showed up to the to the gym you know and it's like an old high school beat up high school gym tying my shoelaces to 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 jump into the next next pickup game and i swear to god i just see her and I said, like, I have to meet this person. Like, I, I locked for, there was 50, 60 women there. Was um, she, what was she wearing? <laughs> she was wearing, so she played at Wesleyan, which is a Wesleyan University of Connecticut. She was wearing, like, a grubby old Wesleyan jersey. I was like, oh, like, Wesleyan, like, thinking, oh, it's, like, you know, great school. She's a good player. She's, everyone seems to be gravitating towards her. Um, and she was, she was so cute. It, it was her, her eyes and her demeanor and her, her Wesleyan Jersey. That sounds totally nerdy, but I'm like, Oh, she's probably smart and good at basketball. And she so romantic. Just had the Jersey. <laughs> she could have. Jersey's had... disgusting, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't the Jersey. Have it? She yeah. Still... I could, I'll, I'll, I'll get it out. It's we, whenever we play pickup basketball, like it's rare these days because we're old, old ladies at this point, but the jersey comes out and I'm always like kind of flashback to like the moment I saw her. And so who asked who out? Who talked? Oh, that's a very much debated question. So I, and I think my side is correct, but I. Well, I'm asking you. I Yours asked, is the only I version. set it up. Like I first asked her to go out and she couldn't because she had had a concussion. This is, this was legit. This wasn't like a. A made-up thing because she had a head hit a concussion she's like i can't go outside I have this concussion i can't go get a beer because i can't you know drink and i should you know need to go home but i said a rain check i said like the next time so i kind of p- positioned the rain check and then followed up on it so and, and i did <laughs> did you you knew she wasn't just putting you off i knew that yeah 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 so she doesn't remember what is her first memory 
that she that she basically was the one like hey you're gonna take me out for that drink right like she sort of like oh she initiated it she was the initiate she was yeah. the straw that turned to, to exactly turn. like someone had to like actually make the date happen and she thinks she made it happen i think i planted the seed for it to happen you know yes. so uh, it's, what I it will never be resolved unless you talk to her but you took advantage of a woman who was in a concussed state <laughs> exactly. i mean <laughs> to go and buy her drinks i mean and that's not i was 20 three years old so I was I was kind of an idiot so yeah I was a baby I mean back to it was I was young I mean we met I was um it was 2003 um so I was a year and change out of college and she had she's four years older so she was she was clearly an older woman taking advantage of me so this is I am the victim here not the concussed <laughs> Lindsay <laughs> and where was the first day uh, we went to this is very fancy. If you know Chicago, uh, it's it's called the Lion's Head Pub in Lincoln Park. It's the most broy bar with beer towers. And is it, is it bougie? Gross. Is it no, it's totally. It's like an Irish pub. It's 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 dark and full of frat boys and towers of beer. It is not your lesbian bar. No, it was not. We were, we we break the mold. We didn't we didn't really care where we hung out. It was. It was near the gym. Yeah. Well, that was wonderful. How long before you knew she's the one? Um, it was that night, the first night we hung out at Lion's Head Pub for four hours and just kept talking. And we just were like, it was sort of a done deal. Both talking or one talking? Uh, both talking. I wasn't really a big talker until like she's just sort of like, like, cracked the the shell i just was like oh my god i'm actually talking real conversations with this person i'd had a lot of i i was not a um very open book to a lot of people until i met Lindsay. wow so it was like i made and it was it was a life-changing very long and you know not I, i'd say the beer tower thing kind of jokingly it wasn't like an alcohol-fueled conversation it was like we just could have could have kept talking for like 24 hours straight i think and so I'm wondering, was this your first serious relationship? It was my first, yeah. My first serious relationship. I had dated guys in high school, like kind of on and off. Not I was I was more focused on myself in high school and even into college, school, sports, like total tunnel vision, where I didn't and I had a lot of friends. So I, there wasn't um it was like that part of my heart and my brain like wasn't fully developed yet where I was like oh like relationships and and so it took I think I was a late bloomer in that regard I was very positively distracted by a lot of good things um and sort of put myself into those things and didn't really pay attention to the other the romantic side of things um so Lindsay was my was my first like really long-term you know relationship and my first relationship with a woman I have to ask the yeah. dumb old white well, yeah, you are well, great guy. <laughs> Question: uh, Did you always know that you were gay? No, I. So I always thought I was different because um, I didn't, you know, from a really early age. Um, I remember, you know, women in my extended family saying, "You know, Laura, like, why are you always playing sports? Why, 
why are you always wearing blue? Like you, girls wear pink and bows and dresses. And I was always getting it like in this, this like friction with anything that was expected of me in terms of genders, like, oh, like even with um, family traditions and just like the dress and I was a huge sports nut. So like that was what, and it just did, was not understandable by like my, my aunt or my grandma, like how you, you go out and like, you should just sit and be, you know, sit around and drink tea and be, wear dresses. Um, so I had, I always thought I was kind of different and I, I don't like the word tomboy because I think it's origins are kind of icky and I don't associate that with like if that for, for other people might understand it as that, which is fine. So I was different. Um, and I, I also, I think I was open-minded to, cause I had a lot of, especially as I entered college, um, a lot of my closest friends were, were gay. So it sort of was like, oh, like you can, you can, you can do that. You can be that you can be who you are and not, um, you know, have to sort of shut that piece of yourself off. So I, I kind of just like sort of cordoned off this part of me through, through high school, I think. And I kept it in the sound where like kept it at, in, in a container. And then when I was in college, kind of opened my mind and just got, you know, I, I grew up in a town in, in the Chicago area that's very conservative, um, very white, very straight, very uh, homogenous and didn't have any gay role models, if you will. Like it was not a thing. Like we weren't, you know, there was maybe this cousin, second cousin twice removed or somewhere like, oh, she's lesbian. Like, what's that? Like it was, it was a new thing for me, frankly, when I got to college and I was, you know, it was kind of in college, I think I it mentally switched to my, my, myself to say, I'm actually not interested in men, like, and that's okay. And I can like do everything under the sun that I ever wanted to do. It's not going to impede me in any way to be gay. It's going to actually be a superpower. So, <laughs> so I flipped the switch, I think in, in college, but didn't actually date anyone till post-college. And so it sounds like you are of a generation and a place where that wasn't a problem at all. That was, no. it was relatively easy for you to own yes. who you were. Yep, it was. And, and there were, um, you know, the whole coming out uh, process, I'll say, you know, and you plan it in your head who you're going to tell first and, you know, you tell this person and they're going to tell that person, you sort of map this thing in your brain. And that was stressful. Um, uh, to an extent. And it, I had a pretty easy go of it. Let's say my parents were, you know, loving and understanding and my brothers ultimately came around uh, after some initial uh, challenging conversations of like, are you sure you're gay? And what if you change your mind? And I you don't, you know, don't come out yet until you're sure. And I just I'm like, what do you just kind of odd challenging me conversations? Um, and then on my wife's side, it was, it was more difficult. I think some of, um, her family members had a harder time at first, but everyone, you know, flash forward now and like everyone sort of came around is on board, especially once we started having kids. Um, but I, I had from a professional standpoint, personal standpoint, family standpoint, um, I'm very fortunate. I had a, an easy, easy go of it. And I know a lot of people don't, um, but I was always you know, supported and I worked for companies that had gay and lesbian groups. They went as so far as to, you know, extend partner benefits before it was, a, before they really changed their policies to include Lindsay. Uh, they paid for me to adopt when Lindsay had our first child and it wasn't, um, we weren't married yet, but legally companies that go above and beyond to make you feel like, you know, included, that was uh, made, made a big difference. Wow. You had kids before you were married. 
And we had a kids. Kid. Well, we had, we got married. Uh, it wasn't legal. In 2007 in Illinois, it was uh, civil union. That was all you could, that was the maximum you could, you know, that's all you could get. <laughs> um, and we upgraded our civil union to a marriage license. Uh, so that, I mean, that's a, a second marriage, I guess you could call it in uh, 2012. And we had our first child in 2010. And that was got married. Oh, seven. That was a surrogate or your? Uh, no, we had a, a sperm donation. Uh, my wife carried and it was her egg. And how did you make the decision to do that as opposed to adopting or like, why did you want to be parents? Well, I think it was, wasn't that first date that I, that at the Lion's Head pub that I described, um, it was probably like the second date where Lindsay very quickly said, you know, I'm not, this is, uh, I, I'm serious about our relationship. I want to have kids. If that scares you, tell me now, because that's really important to me. So she sort of voiced that very early on in a relationship. And I was like, I'm not sure if I'm gay yet. And you want to talk about having kids? Like one of those, like, you know, sort of accelerated my thinking and my beliefs, I guess, to, to sort of say, what do I want? My, my vision of my adult life was, was definitely having kids, um, whether it be my own kids or adopting kids or whatever, having a family, right? Having kids around. The conversation happened. It sort of quick, maybe quickly either, you know, reconcile my own beliefs about it. I said, yes, I want to have kids too. And then it sort of, you know, took, we were, we were together, gosh, almost seven years before we had kids. So we had plenty of time to figure out all the options. We had plenty of good times, pre-kids, you know, we got to, got to get all the, out of our system. Um, and the decision to adapt or carry, like physically carry a child, we kind of said, like, let's go the, the route where if we can have kids, like one of us, we have kids. If we can't, then, then we'll adopt. And I think the idea of, you know, we end up using an anonymous uh, sperm donor. So we don't actually know the, the donor, the sperm bank out in California. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a, it was a personal decision to select an anonymous donor. Lindsay is four years older. So we said, okay, biological clock ticking wise, like you should go first, right? That's just practical. She had a, a very, uh, I'll say easy, thankfully uh, successful first pregnancy. And it was kind of from there, um, you know, once you meet, once we met this baby, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Wouldn't it be great if, if she had a sibling? And Lindsay was at that point, the sure thing. So I, we put our money, you know, on, on the sure thing and did the same uh, process again and had another healthy, beautiful daughter. And then it was like, I don't even, that was now 2012, our second child was born. So it's been like a whirlwind ever since. But once I think had we had issues with her getting pregnant, I would have tried to do it. And if I had issues, then we would have gone, you know, the adoption route. Were you in the labor and delivery? Oh yeah. I was, I was there a How'd lot. How'd that go? <laughs> it's, it's intense. I mean, it is the most intense experience. Um, and I have a low uh, threshold tolerance for pain. So I'm like about to pass out. I'm like feeling the pain, whatever. And Lindsay's like, you don't even know what this is. Um, it was, and just to have the idea of like, you know, it's a very, um, it's so hard on the, the birthing mother. It's, it's in very many ways, a life-threatening event for the mother. So here I am like loving and concerned about Lindsay. And then all of a sudden there's this another, you know, life on the line. And it's this intense, you know, period where you just want to get get through it and have everyone be okay so it was, it was an amazing experience and um uh not for the faint of heart <laughs> it's like it was like whew. there was there was one point like you have to um 
I guess in like, it was, we were there for a long time. You know, the, the first pregnancy uh, delivery took, you know, 24 hours or whatever there for a long time. And you, know, you get hungry, you know, I'm, I'm and like, I'm just kind of starving. And Lindsay's, you know, on the, on the bed, like getting, going through contractions and she can't eat. And I'm sneaking a granola bar in the hospital room. And she's like, what are you doing? Like, how could you be eating at a time like this? I'm like, I need to sustain myself. This is, this is intense. So it was, I was trying to be there for her, but I, I, I can only, um, you know, be witness. I, I can't even describe what that was like for her, but it was very intense. And when you saw the child emerge. Yes. <laughs> what was your reaction? Oh, uh, just like, I was so, so excited to meet her. Um, and like, we, we had picked out a name and, um, you know, it's always that moment where like, does this name fit the kid? And I was like, this is, this is Lulu. It was Lulu and Lulu's her name. Um, so I just, it was like waiting to meet this person that you just couldn't wait to meet. And like, I get to meet her and it was like pure joy. Wow. It's awesome. And so you all had three? We have three daughters. Isn't that crazy? Is that by design? So much can you, can you dial that up? <laughs> I'd like to order three, a large, medium, and small daughter, please. Um, can you do it with a uh, It's not, not like this, a drive-thru. This guy only so produces. You can't just like order these things up. Uh, you so t I guess there's there there there's more technology now that does enable some treatment of the sperm specimen where they like spin it a certain way where like the chromosomes move around where you have more likelihood of a of a boy or a girl and I don't I am not a doctor but or a scientist but I play one on TV um, we did not do any of that it just was like pure 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 chance which is crazy three did for you... three girls. Did you want girls? I wanted healthy kids. If I had to pick, I would have, I love girls. Like I think like to have daughters is so great. I, but either way would have been fine. But when we had two girls, I thought for sure the third would be a boy just to kind of balance us out. But then it was another girl. And I was like, all right, girls rule. Like we got this. And we're raising like this pack of what's like a, a, a was it a pride is a group of lions like I think it's like this pride of like these little lions that we're raising and it's it's really awesome I would have felt bad for them if the third was a boy this poor kid would have been like doomed by all these women but um to have this group of like this group of, of ladies is pretty awesome I've had women on this podcast who've been elected to public office straight up say women are better they are more interested in consensus building. Is that a is that a hardwiring thing or is that a cultural thing? That is not the question I thought you were going to ask when you started talking about gender. But this is an easy one compared to the gender one is a challenging topic. I, I my my belief and my personal bias is that women are have the potential to be the best leaders, um, and I think it's a combination of hardwiring and culture or nature and nurture, um, if you will. I describe it, or others have described it, and I sort of latch onto this, this idea of like, uh, it's called relational leadership. And it's about caring for people, it's about communication. It's about customization, if you will, of like being able to, uh, you have a team of people that you're leading and it's not you at a podium saying, you know, charge, let's run this way, like dictating or directing, you're actually going one-on-one. -on -one and understanding each person's strengths and weaknesses 
and getting each person to buy into that common goal and then sort of looking at this collective relationally leading this group towards the objective. And I've seen women, and I look back at my career um, from a, as an athlete and as a professional, and now as I, I'm working sort of one-on-one with a lot of women leaders, I think women are hard, both hardwired and it's, I think culturally supported to be that type of leader. I think it's underappreciated the impact that that type of leadership can have because it's not chest beating, Trump-esque, uh, loudest voice in the room gets the attention, person at the podium gets the attention, like leadership style that gets sort of uh, celebrated. It's it's the the non-recognized, really impactful leadership that uh, you know some organizations are benefiting from, and I and I see um, there's so much potential for this. It's like a, I think it's a new the future of leadership is female, or is non-gendered. How about that future? Of, it, and I'm not saying women own that necessarily, but I think it's the ideal is that it's it's um, the ideal society and status of the world for me is is gender free. There's no gender; it's just every you are who you are. Um, we're not going to get there, but I think for now to call it this female type of leadership, I think that's maybe what you're suggesting. And if I'm not, correct me. But um, that this is that we're he- the world is heading this way. The world needs this type of leadership. Well, when you say customize, you and I have talked before. Yeah. Um, it's when you can go into someone's office and say, cut the shit. Right. And when you need to say, it seems like you're struggling here. Yep. <laughs> tell me what's, tell me your right. thinking. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's, it's hard. I mean, for you to be able to like flip that switch or have that filter um, go into those different modes, it takes energy. That takes, you have to get, you have to care. You have to, um, it's that not easy, right? It's not a one size fits all. No, and no. When you say nature and nurture, what's the difference in being a mom and a dad? They have Does two that- parents. We have two moms, but I think I don't think there's a difference. I think we, I think being a mom, what does this experience enable me to be or become, or how has it changed the way I think, act, behave? This is I think this is true if it's your mom or dad. Being a parent makes you very quickly realize it's not all about you anymore. Um, I described myself as a high school kid. Like I was focused on being the best, doing my best, achieving school sports, like me, me, it was very, and I was, yes, I was part of a family and I had friends and I wasn't, you know, loner, but it was, you, you, you really have to, uh, your focus changes to really be about others once when you're a parent, um, cause you, cause you, there's, their very survival depends on it. Right. So you, you, you wake up in the morning thinking, gosh, am I going to, you know, go for a walk first or have a cup of coffee first? No, you get up cause the baby's awake and the baby needs to be fed. Or the baby has a dirty diaper or whatever you, you go into the mode of, of care. Um, so it's about being a parent flips the switch from, from being focused on self to you, you have to be focused on others. And I think like the, the softer side of like did being a being a mom or being a dad or being a parent, I hope because because it's it's this expansion of of love. Like it's not you know the love amount of love you have to give is not a fixed pie, right? You it, it a child comes into your life and you hope that the love it expands, right? And you you love this kid, and so this idea of like being more nurturing, more caring, more loving, more sensitive to the needs of others. Um, that that softer side, I think both those like the, the, those are things that occur when you become a parent. I hope. Okay. I mean, and they don't always. This is obviously I, not. I, that's my Pollyanna version of being a parent. Brass tacks. 
Yeah. <laughs> Somebody says, we're not cooking tonight. Yeah. Let's go, let's go grab dinner. Okay. And then somebody else says, okay, where? Yeah. How long is the conversation after oh, that? Uh, well, we do like a quick, we, it's pretty quick. We're, we're just, Lindsay and I are very decisive to each other. We sort of like can quickly, like we try to do what's best for, for most, you know, family of five. It's like, all right, well, if we go to the Thai food place, this will make four out of five of us happy. If we go get hamburgers, it'll make three out of five of us happy. If we go to sushi, only only two of us will be happy. So let's go to the Thai place because like we haven't had it. We, so we have a quick like decision, you know, not a matrix, but like we just kind of go through and like we make decisions quickly kind of based on what's best for most in our family. But I'll also say, sorry, that sounds too, just I, what I also think we've realized is like, it, it, you brought this up, like feeling outnumbered or like this us versus them. We are their parents. We are in charge. We are outnumbered by these people, these, these children. So we we have to sometimes say like, you know, what what is best? What's best for us in terms of le of leading this family is going to be best for everyone. So sometimes we have to piss some of the kids off or make them unhappy or make them do things they are not thrilled about doing because it's we think it's the best thing. Like moving, for example, moving back to Chicago. The kids are bawling their eyes out. Why are we moving? We love it here. We have a good life here and we're like yeah we know but this is best for for your moms this is best and therefore what's good for what's good for us is going to be good for you guys you just don't understand it yet that we're happy and self-actualizing and around our friends and family and in a city that we love that's diverse they don't see that they don't understand it but like trust you know they, they we have to just sort of we make those decisions that are uh, best for us in the spirit of it being best for our family so what you're mm -hmm. saying is women can make snap decisions. Like there's sometimes in which I have said, because I'm the dad, that's why, because we got to choose. Yeah. We, we yeah. can't just drive around aimlessly. We got to pick a place, you know, it may be the wrong place. You guys can all blame me. As long as it's not Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Anywhere but there. I love but, Chick-fil-A. So you're saying, I know, no. we, talk, we talked about last time, I can't eat there. You, I mean, why I'll, I'll catch on fire because I mean, they're homophobics. No. You can't support their brand. There, there are, there are gay people who eat at Chick Fil A. <laughs> I will introduce you to some, and they they have not burst into flames. So news, breaking headline: gay people but eat at Chick Fil A. That, I mean, but what that tells me is that you pick places like you you put your money where your mouth is. I mean, you're you're gonna you're gonna support places that support your values and you're not going to support places that do not support your values i try as much as possible yes to do that it makes sense chick-fil-a communicates to its workers i think in a myriad of ways you are not going to be a fry cook forever and i don't think that mcdonald's does that really yes and I think it shows in the service that you get in a Chick-fil-A that I can, I can absolutely demonstrate this to you in side-by-side -side comparisons all over the country, that the service you receive in a Chick-fil-A is exponentially mm -hmm. better than a McDonald's. It's quicker. I wouldn't it's, know. I've never been. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, 
that's what. But I would. I'm curious about this because I I have I guess a positive brand association with McDonald's in that it you know it, it seeks to employ anyone and anyone and everyone who wants to work who wants to um, you know. It, it seems like it's giving access to employment to a lot of people who wouldn't have it, and especially in the locations that they're in. Um, but I, I would like to learn that about Chick-fil-A and maybe open my mind up. But I, I, I hear that. It's a, that's a very positive thing that you're describing. What if you went into a Chick-fil-A and um, said to a manager, and not yeah. in a fast but what if you went in and actually said to a manager, who a lot of times you'll meet the owners in a Chick-fil-A, but yep. the manager or the owner, what's up with you guys and gay people? Yeah. I think, I mean, I believe, you know, people get a second chance. I, I believe in forgiveness. This was also now, I mean, the, the controversy with, with, anti-LGBTQ stuff, let's say, was now a couple years ago when it was most intense. So maybe it's, I hope it's rear view mirror. I hope they've ad adapted new policies. And I would be, I would like to talk to them about, like, I would be totally down for that conversation to update my own beliefs. Cause I, I, I kind of ne negatively influenced me, you know, a few years back and I sort of shut them off my, they're off my list, so to speak, but I would be, I would, it would be a good conversation. I would learn something. And I would have a delicious sandwich at the end of the conversation. <laughs> sounds pretty good. You might, or you might just have a cup of water and a good conversation <laughs> and never go back. But I believe that but, these the brand and like, just like people, brands, companies, they can, they can uh, evolve and change and update their beliefs and operating systems. And well, I should you, have it a more open mind. One thing that bugs me, it's a pet peeve is when people say, well, this is my personal brand. And I'm oh, like, what gross. a load of shit. You know, <laughs> like my brand, but particularly when people, their name is the brand. Right. Like the name yep. is the brand. They attach yep. their name. And they, I think they have a hard time down the road. Talk to me about that because as a branding expert. My business is generally described as a personal branding agency so and but but when there's a way that that i work with my clients and i the, the way that i understand personal branding where it is doesn't make me cringe and it and it doesn't feel so superficial so what is a personal brand as soon as i defining that or what describing that so imagine like there, there's things that you what you say and what you do how people feel about that where those things meet like this venn diagram place where those things meet so what you say and what you do and how how that makes people feel that's how you're perceived that is your brand well those are three things what you yes. say what you, what you do I, yeah i kind of put those together though I well put, that's, you need to, they're not always together because they're, well they the should be so here my job is to align i will when these things are aligned what you say and what you do if there's consistency to those things I, so you're right they're separate but in theory and in the perfect world, they, they should be aligned. Well, there's the world how is filled with feel. men who say, hey, I'm a dick. What, am I, what are you right. going to do? 
you know, you love me or you hate me. I'm just a dick. And if they're perceived as a dick, then that's their brand. Right. If, if they make people feel like, oh, that guy's a dick and they say, and they do things that are dick-like, that's their brand. Guess what? You're a dick. But they- Which is they fine. Say, I don't work with those people. Oh, but that what, they, what they say is, oh, I'm a lovable rogue. Okay. Like, no, you're just a rogue. So you can say these things, you can say you are, but if people don't perceive you as such, you are not. Oh. It's all about other, it doesn't matter what you think or what you say or what you do, it's what how others perceive that. So you have to have some awareness of others. You have to have an understanding of, you know, understand your audience, so to speak. It doesn't, it's not about you, it's about others' perception of you. So like, have you ever bumped into people where it's like, they are such great people, they have mm -hmm. such a great product, service, message, mm -hmm. They're on point in every way. Yep. They get no business. They get no love. What what the hell is the disconnect? So it's, I mean, there's a couple of things. Um, and again, it's all about in this, you know, the 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 consumer or the audience, I'll say. So if it's a restaurant, you know, there's a consumer of, of the food. Um, you have to be relevant to the consumer and you have to be they have to be aware of you. So awareness and relevance, those are brand marketing terms. What does relevant uh, mean? That it uh, has, has meaning or utility to me, so the consumer. So, and, and Ital you know, Italian food is, I think, is a good example. Like if I only, you know, if I eat an all raw seafood diet and all I eat is sushi, Italian food is not relevant to me. It doesn't have meaning, utility, purpose for me. So to try to connect that brand, that restaurant brand with someone who's a raw sushi lover, eater only, it, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. You have to find the audience where your brand, your offering is most relevant. And then you have to amplify your message to be aware so they can see you, they can hear you, they can find you. You have to be as accessible and easy for them to, to find as possible. So, you know, they get, you know, get a, get a bigger megaphone, you know, amplify that message out um, to that audience where or your product start, offering is relevant. Fishing in different ponds, start going where the fish are, I guess. Sure, sure. But you, if you're not seeing, and it's the same thing in my business, you, if you're not being seen and being heard, you don't exist. So you can be the, the, the most wonderful, uh, take this example, like this amazing mom and pop, best best spaghetti ever, like best menu, best restaurant experience. And if no one sees or hears of this, um, it's going to be very challenging unless you're running, you know, very uh, niche boutique little, you know, four tabletop exclusive restaurant. Like that's, that's probably not the business that they're in, but it's the same thing with personal brands. If you have great thoughts, you have a great concept, you have great ideas and no one can see you or hear you, or, and you're not out there, you're not putting yourself out there. Um, no one knows how to relate to you. They, you cannot possibly be relevant to them. They don't know you, they don't know you. Um, and they have to know you to work with you, to consider you, to hire you, to promote you, to, to collaborate you. If you're not seen and not heard, they, they don't know you. And if you're not known, you can't be worked with essentially. 
It may be that there are no gay friendly Chick-fil-A's out there. True. I, I mean, let's I just go back. You, I don't want to sell you on something that's not true. I don't know. It well, may be that they are. It may be that you shouldn't give them a dollar. I um, live in a, pl a part of the country where there, there, I don't even think there's a Chick-fil-A within 50 miles. Maybe, maybe in Boston there's one, but I, New England is, um, has, has a Well, there are other water. restaurant chains that are that way. That yeah. They don't. They don't do, they're very much regional. Yeah. Um, it, it's a cultural kind of a thing. What is the lesbian brand and what do, <laughs> does America have wrong about it? Like what do homophobes uh, have wrong about, especially lesbian moms? So what do you tell people who would go, oh, they're never gonna know the, the, at the daddy daughter dance, what are they right. gonna do? Ooh, so what yeah. do you tell those? How do you uh, how do you address that? What do you? So we it's funny the the school before we moved to New Hampshire the our Chicago uh, public school they used to have a daddy daughter dance and you know either by by some suggestion by by my wife and others that it was called the family dance so they they upgraded they up, updated their branding of the of the daddy daughter dance but not just for the lesbian moms but for the kids who have you know one mom or have who have lived with their grandma or you know don't have a dad around so in general I think there's some antiquated like constructs out there like the daddy daughter dance in a public school for example that probably just need to be updated to be more inclusive period for not just for lesbians for, but for all families um, so there's a lot of like simple things that um schools and organizations and places can do so that it's not doesn't become like a thing where it's like oh can can we not go to the dance and our daughter's not her friends are talking about going to this thing and she can't go because she doesn't have a dad like just let's just remove that um thinking from the scenario by upgrading these these things um but the brand i think like the idea that like lesbian moms are different from two gay dads or different from a mom and a dad versus you know any sort of family configuration, um, single single parent, non-birth parent, whatever it is, like I'm more I'm eager to seek the common ground, the commonality of like, and this is not to be cheesy, but like love, then like, then parse out the differences. And even by, you know, the stereotype might be like, oh, lesbians are anti-men and they're all, you know, raging feminists. And they're like gonna raise these she-wolves that are gonna go like perpetuate these myths in the world. And it's like castrate. no, I, just, I don't. You're gonna go castrate. Exactly. So I, I mean, I actually kind of like that idea, but not. <laughs> but like, I just say like, let's elevate to the commonplace of like parents and like whatever fill in the blank type of parent you are. Like that, if you just anchor yourselves in in like love and nurture and support and like just you know versus uh, harping on the differences. But so I didn't answer your question, but I don't I. I don't know. The lesbian mom brand is, I think like to have two moms is like the luckiest situation for a kid personally. And like our, our daughters complain about having to make two Mother's Day cards on Mother's Day. That's like, that's like the hardest part about having two moms. So that sounds like a pretty good life to me. <laughs> um, is there a time when you consciously or unconsciously say to yourself or to your spouse, we're going to bring the dad energy to this blank? And if so, never, what, never, not well, once. 
I, I mean, I'm not being uh, flippant. Like, never once has that come into our. Well, we haven't spoken a word about your father. Did, was was there an energy? Did he bring an energy? Did you get along with that guy? I got along with, well, yeah, of course. My dad, I mean, he was attached at the hip to my mom, who's who's the best. Um, now, my dad is um, the, the consummate salesman, very um, likable, gregarious, funny. Uh, he he's runs a restaurant, so you talk, I can imagine that mom and pop restaurant business. My mom and pop are mom and pop restaurateurs, so um, and they they oh, run wow. a what kind pizza, of restaurant? pizza restaurant. Uh, so they have a pizza place in the suburbs of Chicago, and they they're franchisees, and they have a franchise also in Naples, Florida. It's called Aurelio's Pizza, um, and it's amazing. So did they? <laughs> and create, I want to know. Did they? They no, they, they the brand? no, they are they are franchisees. Um, the brand is is a, a Chicago-based brand that uh, they grew up with the, the the family that founded it, that started it. Do they still use the family recipe? Yes. And deep dish. So so, you know, shockingly, Chicago pizza is not doesn't always mean the deep dish. It's actually thin crust Chicago pizza. I. Don't and now you're just saying words. I don't know what well, I've never I, heard of that. <laughs> I know people, everyone assumes that Chicago's deep dish. There is actually a great thin crust. So it's sweeter sauce. There's actually like there's there may be some sugar added to the sauce. I don't know. I, I only worked there for a minute. Uh, sweet sauce, uh, salty cheese blend that caramelizes when you. Oh my cook god! It, and oh a crust god. that's not like. Um, you know, like a New York pizza has like a puffy sort of bagel-like crust. This is more of like a denser, uh, crispier crust and not a cracker crust though. It's like in between. So it's like, again, it's own sort of, the dough has to sit overnight. Oh my exciting. God. I want to go it's, to- It is. God. I mean, I'm, I I'm, I'm like, my stomach's growling talking about it. It's, it's really good. So, but my, so my parents run this, run this restaurant. They own the restaurant, they own the franchise, their franchisees, um, so my dad's like the, you know, like the guy, the, the, the consummate host, the consummate salesman who comes in, makes you feel welcome. Um, great sense of humor. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad to have been raised by my parents, but I, I think about my kids having two moms. I go back to that. I'm like, we're, we're all, all in all the time with these guys. Which, which, which do you think you're more likely to hear? Oh, I'm not going to that restaurant because they're homophobic or they're anti-gay or well i can't go to that restaurant it's run by a couple of gay guys or it's run by oh. a couple of lesbians which do you Ooh, think is more that's a good so which, which I, more common do you think? i bet now, with, it's uh, with I mean, bars we got to take bars out of it because yeah i would i mean and this is part of like living you know having lived in living you know going to college in boston growing up in chicago moving back to Chicago as an adult and now living in this like New Hampshire, um, I guess it's kind of a bubble, but like we, we don't go out much into the wilderness, so to speak, of places where it would be a problem to have a lesbian or gay owned restaurant. So I, like in my mind, I'm like, who would ever say that? But I'm like, there's probably half the country that would say that. So unfortunately, maybe. I have maybe less than maybe 40%. Has there ever been a case where, um, you work on a project or whatever, and then somebody goes, oh, you're married to a woman? I didn't know that. 
and like how do they what are the varieties of responses when when you say hey yeah i got three kids my my wife yeah. and i have three kids what are the varieties of <laughs> get, get a uh, spectrum. So i'll tell you <laughs> There's been, it's, it's sort of, it's, there's been an evolution over the years. So now, you know, go back to 2003, you know, it's now almost, almost 20 years ago. I, I inflate a little bit, but back in, it's gotten better where it's less of like a shock to someone. Um, and I'll say in most situations, I either I consciously or, or subconsciously do it. I preempt, I'll talk about my wife or I'll talk about being gay sort of preemptively so that it's not like a discovery shock surprise for the person like oh like like I want to set them up. I want to set them up for success if it makes sense like and not have a totally awkward like oh like wait you're a lesbian like so I just say I talk about my wife or you know and I and I um but I go back to my first real job like out of uh went to business school and like the first first like you know real official job I had and the the head of the company um we were out at an offsite event uh, in, in Las Vegas, which probably doesn't bode well for the story, but it was somehow someone had told them, and this is before I was I was married to Lindsay, but that I was that I was lesbian, and like he like sort of comes up to, to next to me. We're at this crowded, you know, bar restaurant, whatever it was, and he's like, so he's like gestures towards you know a group of girls, like he's like, so you, are you, you into that, like. Like, am I into that? Like checking out these girls with him. And I'm like, there's so many things wrong with this. But he was like, all of a sudden I was one of the guys to him, which was very strange. And also like, ew, this is how guys talk to each other. Like, oh my God. So, and then it, you know, much more benign instances after that. But that was sort of the first, like, oh God. It's, it was like a weird, he was so okay with it that he was, too comfortable and, and acted like totally inappropriate about it. Have like like I was just treating me as one of the guys. Have you ever been to a strip bar? Oh yeah. And same situation where it's like, oh, you're like with coworkers. Like because that was invited you out or that and was, I went out, like we went out for dinner and drinks, and all of a sudden the limo cab is like stopping at whatever place. I'm like, where are we? And like Okay, I'll, I I'm like can't go out on the sidewalk and walk home from here. So like, not that I you know, not to make it out. I was like I couldn't couldn't leave, but like I would find myself in after work social situations where it's like oh like you're one of the guys. And it, looking at not it, that it I, sort I, of like an anthropologist, right? When you you're not like watching some depiction on TV. You're actually right. at a strip club. What was your like visceral response. Well, most, most, um, this is again, this is stereotypical, but a lot, I have heard that um, a lot of people who work in strip clubs are lesbians. Right. So I'm thinking like, good for her. Like she's making a shit ton of money. And like, yes, it's ex completely exploiting women and women's bodies. But if it's done, like if they're getting, if it's done, if it's safe for them and they're making a ton of money and these ding dong asshole guys are throwing like $20 bills at them and they get to go home and like the next day they go be a nurse or teach or run their business, whatever they're, I don't know what they do during well, the daytime. These are kids. Exactly. These are, my, so I'm just like, I'm there more like, not like, yeah, this is great. More like, this is a very, um, 
not my choice, but these women are making a choice to work there. They're making money. A certain percentage of them are lesbians. So like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, it was a very disturbing experience, I'll say, but I also was like, I, um, like, it's, it's, it was like an anthropologist, like how, how these, this is how these guys think. This is what they, this is what they, this is fun for them. Like just understanding that mentality, um, for better, for worse. Like I've been there. (laughs) Did you think this is how these guys think, or did you think this is how guys think? I kind of, I, in the end, it's broad brushstroke. I'm like, this is kind of guys think about sex a lot. So you, you think that, uh, and I don't know if it's true or not. And objectify uh, women a lot. What does, what does that mean? I hear that term a lot, but what do you mean by that? That it's that women are a thing to look at and like, that are they're not like they're objects, not people. Like to, objects to be used for their enjoyment, their pleasure, their purposes, not people that are operating out of their own free will and volition and like their choice. Like it strikes me that you and Hooters would probably not be a good fit. Shockingly, <laughs> <laughs> although um, I do love wings, so it's really hard for me. But I love a nice buffalo wing, you know. I feel like I gave you a hard time. Why? At certain times, I was. Oh, but never. I admire. I have two older brothers. Remember that. I admire you so much. I'm better than they are, by the way. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> But I just, I admire you so much and I love talking and we could talk all day and thank you for doing this. And thank you. I hope, I hope we get to work together again. I will, I look forward to it. I'm, I'm on this, I'll just be hanging out in the Zoom waiting for you, so. <laughs> just stay on this call. I'm, I'm just hanging out and get cozy in here. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thanks, you. Laura and I had some more conversations offline about B corporations, socially beneficial corporations, about environmental responsibility, about social responsibility and conscience, about the governance of these corporations and responsibility to employees and all stakeholders, uh, which got a little bit in the weeds. I, I don't think that our conversation is over. I think and I hope we can work together in the future. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate you indulging my my questions. Thanks so much. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for man listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. Thank you to absolutely everyone who has supported man listening from the very beginning. I really appreciate it. It's personally meaningful to me and I personally thank you. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button, and next week you'll hear...
there were some takeaways from being part of Harvard basketball. Like, so all these women that have these incredible careers say, well, I learned this by being a basketball player at Harvard. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.